And it is midday on pets, and we want to begin with a public service announcement today. Do not send your pets through the x-ray machine at the airport. Last weekend, a cat was mistakenly sent through the x-ray unit along with carry-on luggage in Norfolk, Virginia. And last month, a four-foot-long alligator was found in a lake at Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York. When it comes to exotic pets, buyer beware. These animals and reptiles require a very different level of care if you want them hanging in your house. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Garrity. She's the medical director at the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. And when she's not caring for the animals in the hospital, her hands are full at home with a big family that includes four cats, three dogs, and three human girls. Dr. Garrity, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So you really, uh, both uh, professionally and personally, uh, have all sorts of experience with uh, with gaggles of geese. Uh, that's yes. a lot. That's a lot of animals. That's terrific. <laughs> um, yes. The cat that went through the X-ray machine. This came over mm-hmm. the wires over the weekend. Um, what what harm was the cat exposed to? Well, as far as I know, there is no harm for a one-time exposure. Um, You know, we often x-ray animals frequently when they're ill, and that one-time exposure, it is a low-grade radiation uh, from what I'm aware of, and I don't think it's going to hurt the cat. Well, let's hope that it's not going to hurt the cat. There was also a cat actually put in luggage and checked through luggage uh, about a year or so ago, the TSA. Yes, it happens. (laughs) That's just crazy stuff. So, folks, if you have questions about your pet, how to care for your pet, uh, what you need to uh, be thinking of, thinking ahead to make sure that your pet stays in good health, you can ask Dr. Garrity, 410-662-878. Eight zero. That's a different number than the number we use to make pledges in our spring membership drive. 410-662-8780. If you want to drop us an email, that's at midday at WIPR.org. And if you want to announce your question on Twitter, it's at midday WIPR. So, uh, Dr. Garrity, when it comes to the pandemic, an awful lot of folks uh, got, you know, acquired pets during the pandemic. Um, There was a a financial services company called FinMaster that did a poll that found that in 2021, two out of three U.S. households had a pet. That's a lot. That's a lot of pet. It's a $124 billion industry uh, when it comes to to pets. In your practice, um, of course, the the danger or the, the fear when everybody went out and got a cat or a dog or whatever during the pandemic, the danger or or fear, as I said, was that once the pandemic was over, the interest in the pet was going to wane. To your experience, what's your take on whether or not, you know, people got those uh, dogs and cats, etc. during the pandemic? Have they held on to them uh, or was there a big flurry of giving pets back? I have seen that most of the pandemic uh, animals are still owned by their uh, families. Um, I do talk with local shelters and have seen that, or they have let me know that they are seeing some 
pets come back into the shelter. So unfortunately, I don't think all of them are staying with their families, but we are seeing a majority that do. 410-662-8780. If you have a question for Dr. Lisa Garrity, she's the medical director at the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. If you need uh, some questions answered about how to care for your cat or your dog or your parakeet or your your gerbil or whatever you got. Our email is midday at wypr.org and our Twitter handle is at midday wypr. So Dr. Garrity, there is uh, evidently uh, some evidence of a canine influenza outbreak uh, across the country and particularly uh, on the rise, at least it was a month or two ago, here in the D.C. Baltimore area. What can you tell us about canine influenza? Canine influenza um, is a respiratory virus that can cause high fevers, coughing, conjunctivitis, and eventually pneumonia. Um, We have been vaccinating for canine influenza at Greater Annapolis for many years. Um, It is a vaccine uh, based on lifestyle, meaning if you have a pet that, you know, does go to dog parks, kennels, is around a lot of other uh, dogs, is we recommend the vaccine. Um, And what happened in the end of November into December, we started seeing a multitude of young animals mostly coming in with a respiratory virus. Most of them were vaccinated, some were not. Um, And it was not a typical presentation like we see with kennel cough, which is a completely different disease caused by a different organism. Um, And so we were, you know, trying to figure out what this was and sending out, you know, testing and eventually realized it was this canine influenza. And it threw us for a little bit because some of the pets were actually vaccinated, although those were much milder presentations than some of the ones that had, you know, pneumonia. So um, it was, yeah, we were actually at one point having to use isolation gowns and segregating part of our hospital to see these patients um, so that they wouldn't contaminate, you know, the rest of our patients that were there for other reasons, and we were seeing up to four cases a day. Um, It has definitely subsided since then, which is great. And we have had a number of clients come in and get their pets up to date on their canine influenza vaccine. Now, is canine influenza vaccine uh, one of the vaccines that you uh, recommend for people as a normal course? I mean, every year, should your dog get a canine influenza vaccine the way you should for a human vaccine? Yes, we do recommend that it is a yearly vaccine once it's been established in your pet. Um, And again, we try to tailor vaccines to what, you know, the lifestyle of the pet is. Um, But since we've had a recent outbreak, we are pushing the vaccine, you know, much more. What are some of the symptoms that a dog might have uh, if he or she is afflicted with canine influenza? What should folks be on the lookout for? Uh, coughing is the most common um, symptom that clients, you know, notice. Um, They can have lethargy, which is usually caused by fever. um, And they can actually, I've seen some cases actually with some conjunctivitis. And that was kind of the first presenting case. And then eventually the next day they started coughing. So, you know, it's mostly respiratory. It's a non-productive cough, meaning they're not coughing anything out. um, And it can last for two to three weeks. Most of our patients would, if they have mild cases, get over it within five days, three to five days. Um, But some of them lasted up to three weeks. And we were doing repeated x-rays because we found pneumonia. 
And then we would have to use multiple different antibiotics because they weren't responding. So we have not had at Greater Annapolis any fatalities. So our, you know, it was, you know, sad for the pets to go through this for so long. Um, but they eventually all did recover fine. Yeah. So uh, some people or some some dogs can be treated uh, with medicine for this kind of thing. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's good to know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it is a virus. So, you know, you just have to wait till it gets over. And we just use medications to suppress cough, antibiotics to treat secondary infections. Yeah. Yeah. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Garrity. She's the medical director at the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. We're talking about pets today. If you have a question for Dr. Garrity about your pet, 410-662-8780 or email midday at wypr.org. And you can tweet us at midday wypr. Let's go to Cecil County. Uh, Miriam is on the line. Uh, Welcome to Midday with Dr. Lisa Garrity. Uh, Hi. Thank you for answering my question. My phone, uh, you guys are wonderful. I have a Bernice Mountain dog, and she's a puppy, and every two weeks she has explosive, dreadful diarrhea. I mean, she goes, it's, sometimes it, it's like a hose, and, you know, she's not a small dog, so it's not like a few little things here. Uh, is there anything wrong with her? I, I've done parasites, a call. You know, the, the parasite test, and it's always negative. Yeah, and those Bernese yeah, those, those Mountain dogs are... hang up, sir? Yeah, yeah we, definitely. I'm glad that you did do fecal testing for parasites because that's pretty common. How old is your dog? Uh, she's about eight months, and okay. she's been doing this for about, oh, I don't know, five months. <laughs> I mean, it may be that she needs a diet change. Sometimes it's just as simple as a diet change to a, you know, easily digestible food. Um, Sometimes more diagnostic testing, you know, to see if they are deficient in certain, you know, vitamins, or um, maybe they have a food intolerance or a food allergy where they need a specialized diet. Um, So it might be important to speak with your veterinarian about additional workup and trials of different diets to see if that will help and to make sure you eliminate everything from her diet no table foods no you know treats or bones during the time of trying a new food all right well thanks for that call Miriam. i appreciate it let's go to mary she's in reisterstown uh mary welcome to midday on pets with dr garrity hi i was calling about i, I was wondering if you're seeing an increase in the use of trazodone for behavioral management. I I own two dogs, and one of them is behaviorally challenged. Um, And I've done a lot of work with him, and I've not used trazodone, but I do feel like everybody seems to be, like, are we using trazodone in place of good training and behavior? So, Mary, do you mind my asking, by behaviorally challenged, what does that mean? What's your dog do that you wish she didn't? Well, oh, he was... Oh, it's a he. Um, sorry, he, I, I actually have a male and a female, but my, my male um, is uh, least reactive, like insane, loves other dogs, but loses his mind when he sees them. Um, and overexcitability, um, I, I don't use, tra- I, I, have, I, mean, I, I've, I have a prescription, I've used it once or twice, mostly only like as needed for boarding, but I do feel like when I talk to people, when I talk to like other friends, um, Trazodone is getting prescribed right and left, but it in in place of like good training. All right, Dr. Garrity, what do you think? 
Yeah, we actually do use trazodone quite often. Trazodone is an anxiolytic or it reduces anxiety. And it is situational, meaning that it is used for a temporary situation. So we use it for when they're boarding to reduce anxiety, travel, uh, coming into the vet office, things like that. But if it is a behavior that he's doing that is on a daily basis, you are right, behavioral modifying with training um, and working even with a veterinary board certified behaviorist might be necessary. How old is he? So he's, oh, he's 10 now. Um, and, okay. I, and, and he has mellowed significantly. Um, and it's actually not less about him because, I, like I said, I've worked with him. I walk him. I mean, he, we still walk three miles a day. Um, do a lot of hiking. I have another dog. I, I did a lot of non-pharmaceutical uh, management with him. I, I guess I'm just, I, I, think, I feel like I'm seeing amongst other people, and I don't know if it's a post-pandemic thing, like all of these people that got dogs that didn't understand dog behavior. But I, You're right. You hit on a point where we actually call them pandemic puppies. Um, people were getting uh, dogs from the shelter or young puppies, and there was no socializing because we were all isolating. And so it's extremely important to the brain development of puppies and their social development to socialize with other dogs. They learn how to behave by other dogs telling them how they're acting. Um, and so we are seeing a lot of, of pandemic puppy behavior that is, you know, not, <laughs> um, you know, not something that we want. So um, I think, you know, <laughs> working with a trainer to, you know, redirect and to come up with techniques to have him not focus on the other dog and to focus on you and what you're telling him. Um, you know, and even if he's older, it still can help getting some more um, behavioral, you know, training. All right. Thanks, Mary, for that call. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Garrity. She's the medical director at the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital, and we'll have more on Midday on Pets in just a moment. But first, this reminder about changing your clocks this weekend. Daylight saving time begins officially at 2 a.m. Sunday morning, and we will spring forward and lose an hour of sleep tomorrow night. And by the way, coming up Monday on our show, we will talk with the new Baltimore City State's attorney, Ivan Bates. We'll talk about his plans for closing cases in Baltimore and his efforts to stem gun violence. We'll also speak with Heather Warnken of the University of Baltimore School of Law and Ray Kelly of the Citizens Policing Project on their views about stopping gun violence. So that's coming up Monday on Midday. If you're just joining us today, it's Midday on Pets. My guest is Dr. Lisa Garrity. She's the medical director at the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. And Dr. Garrity is taking your questions about pet care. So you can give us a call 410-662-8780. That's a different number than the number that folks are using to make pledges in our spring membership campaign. Our email address is midday at wipr.org. If you want to tweet us, try at midday wipr. And Dr. Garrity, if you don't mind, let's go right back to the phones. Mark is on the line from Towson with a uh, question about his puppy. Mark, welcome to midday. Thanks for calling. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking the call. Doctor, I have a, I think a 10 or 11 year old, he's a rescue, and uh, he is about 15 pounds. When he wakes up in the morning, he starts licking his paw. It's usually the right paw. During the day, if he's relaxing, he's once again licking that same paw, and in the evening, once again, 
licking the same paw. So is there any um, wound or is there any growth there? Sometimes dogs, if they have a little skin growth, will just obsessively lick it. They can also self-soothe with licking um, over the joint if they have a little bit of arthritis. Typically allergies, they're licking all of the paws or they're licking underneath the paw. So it might be, you know, important to at least maybe have an x-ray of that area to make sure there is no arthritis. Um, to try and redirect him if we think it's behavioral. And just to make sure that everything looks okay with the skin and the nails of that paw. We, uh, we yep. have had a couple of skin tabs taken off of him. Okay. In a couple of different places, but I haven't looked that closely at the paw. That might be a reason to kind of get down there and look to see if you can see a skin tag that they just obsess over. Um, I do see that often. Okay, Mark, well, check out the paw, and I certainly hope that uh, that he's doing okay. I know sometimes, you know, even little rocks, little stones can get embedded uh, in a dog's paw, and, uh, and they, just, they just don't pop out, uh, even though you think they might. Uh, and it could certainly, you know, uh, cause pain to the dog or, or, or cause an obsession <laughs> one way or the other. Um, let's go to the phones again. Larkin is on the line in Baltimore with a question about a cat. Welcome to Midday with Dr. Garrity. Hi, Dr. Garrity. Hi. Hi. So um, I'm calling about my girlfriend's seven to eight year old cat. Um, we're very fond of her. Her name is Katniss. And she has had respiratory issues for about a year and a half. Um, it started when she moved into the city. Um, and, and so we were wondering if it was air pollution, but we've got air filters and all that. Uh, we've brought her to the, the vet before and they've said it's probably asthma, but the x-rays don't show anything severe. However, even just walking up and down the stairs, she seems to um, start coughing and having these respiratory attacks. So I was wondering what we can do as far as alleviating her stress uh, when it comes to those respiratory attacks that is likely asthma. Most of the time, asthmatic cats need medication, sometimes steroids. We can do uh, steroid inhalers as well. Even if you don't see a lot of evidence of asthma, uh, coughing can be, you know, asthma. Um, it can also be heart disease. I would think that they would either hear a heart murmur or see evidence of heart disease on the chest x-ray. I have tried antihistamines with cats. You know, the problem with cats is making cats take medicine is very difficult. Um, and antihistamines can be very bitter, but I have tried that as well. So it may be a steroid trial to see if it does reduce her, her asthma episodes. That might be the next step. And we did try steroids briefly. Um, they seemed to reduce it a little, but it really didn't have a big impact. So um, she is getting a little older, um, but she should still have several years ahead of her. So we're just wondering, really, what, what would make it easiest for her in terms of uh, just day-to-day -day life? Obviously, not running up and down the stairs, but if there's something... Yeah, you might want to like try an inhaler. You might want to try an inhaler of steroids. Sometimes inhaled steroids are better, and then they also sometimes need... Um, a bronchodilator. Um, we'll use things like an albuterol inhaler for those attacks or even oral terbutaline. So you might need to kind of uh, check with your doctor or her veterinarian uh, to see if maybe that's the next step for her. Okay. All right. Thank you, Larkin. And Dr. Garrity, how does one get a cat to 
suck in the contents of an yeah, inhaler. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. You use the same <laughs> inhaler that they use for people, and there is something that you attach it to a chamber called an aero chamber, and what you do is you put the little cone over the face of the cat, and at the other end is the attached inhaler, and then you press it, and you just hold it there for, you know, 10 breaths so that the cat can breathe in all of that aerosolized medication. Yes, it's, it's interesting. They actually tolerate it very well. It just takes time to get them used to, to doing something new. Most cats don't like to do things new. Um, I've had cats and dogs. The dogs have always been easier to train. Uh, you know, I've gotten dogs as puppies. I've gotten, they've all been rescues. Um, and I've gotten dogs, uh, my, our last beagle was uh, eight years old when we got her from the, uh, the SBCA. Uh, they, they just seem to be much more malleable when it comes to behavior stuff. Cats are a whole other universe. Our, our daughter <laughs> yes, and her, yeah. and her husband have two cats. They live in Brooklyn, New York in a, in a, an apartment, uh, near Prospect Park where they actually discovered an alligator recently, but that's a different story. <laughs> but, uh, yes, but yes, I read that. one of their cats is just as affectionate and as loving as you can imagine, jumps right up on your tummy and purrs and goes great. And the other one doesn't want anything to do with anybody. And if you even approach the cat, starts hissing and, you know, swatting with her paw. Uh, what, what would, what do you suggest, uh, about, uh, making this, this, uh, less than, uh, sociable cat a little bit more hospitable? <laughs> well, there's a lot of different personalities in there, out there both with pets and people. And so sometimes you, you get the sweet ones and sometimes you don't. Um, a lot of times it's based on um, anxiety. Um, and so they do like a fear directed aggression. Uh, sometimes they may have underlying medical reasons that they're uncomfortable. And so then they, they lash out or act out. Um, we do use, you know, pheromones, calming pheromones like feel away. You can put them in the area where the cat is staying and they're, they diffuse. You just plug them in. You can also spray them. Sometimes it's just learning their clues of when you need to stop interacting. Um, I have had cats like that in my life and there's not much you can do if that's their personality. But you can try some behavioral modifying things like pheromones. All right. That's a good suggestion. 410-662-8780. That's our number here at Midday. Again, it's a different number than the number that we use to make a, a contribution in our spring pledge uh, drive. 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at org. Our Twitter handle, at Midday WIPR. If you have a question for Dr. Lisa Garrity, she is the medical director at the Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. Uh, Eric is on the line from Towson. Uh, with a good question about uh, flea collars. Eric, welcome to uh, Midday with Dr. Garrity. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, Dr. Garrity. Hi. Um, hi. My vet, hi. My, my vet has given me the opinion that flea and tick collars are not that effective, and she instead prescribes medicine for my dog every so many months when it runs out. Um, I wonder what your opinion is on that. Um, I think that there are some flea collars out there that are very effective. I tend to use one myself called Soresto, and I actually use that on my own pet. I also do have the oral flea and tick products, um, and then there also are other topicals like Vectra, um, Frontline. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is to make sure that you get a reputable product, that you actually have it applied to the, the, the pet 
appropriately. Sometimes I've seen people come in with fleek collars and the collar is so loose, it's almost like a necklace where it has to actually be somewhat tight. I usually recommend two to three fingers, you know, fitting underneath the collar um, and the dog uh, to make sure that the medication can actually penetrate, you know, onto the skin. And and is one uh, safer than the other? Uh, When I had flea collars on our dogs, it always seemed a little, I was always a little reluctant because it was like, you know, putting this bit of poison around her neck. Um, Is one considered, you know, less toxic in some way to the dog itself, uh, to say nothing about the fleas? Ectoparasite, you know, treatments, flea and tick treatments, they're they're an anti-parasiticide. So they are actually a chemical regardless of how they're, you know, given. So, you know, there's one camp, oh, we don't want anything topical because I don't want to touch it. But then you're giving something oral that is also, you know, a parasiticide. So it's really depends on, you know, what your beliefs are. I use both of those types of products interchangeably. You know, if I have a patient that's got really bad skin um, or the client does not want to touch the product, then I'll choose the oral. If I feel that the oral is, you know, they've had a reaction to it where it makes them throw up or something worse, then I will switch to a topical. So it really depends on the scenario, the client, the patient. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, have it around the, the dog's neck. It's another thing to just put it in the dog's intestines. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, either way. But, you know, the you diseases know. are worse, um, you know, so, you know, we don't want them to get uh, tick diseases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have uh, a caller, Steve, who's on the line from Baltimore. Steve, welcome to Midday with Dr. Lisa Garrity. Hi there. I have a four-year-old male cat that's not drinking enough water, and I've tried all sorts of machinations to get him to drink. I leave a sink full. Um, I've got one of those fountains, and uh, I'm wondering if you have any other ideas because that doesn't seem to be working. Why do you think he's not drinking enough? Like, what is your what are you seeing that's that's His indicating urine that? is concentrated? And, okay. Um, the vet said he had no bacteria. His mm-hmm. UA was negative, mm-hmm. but it was concentrated and had mucus and other odds and ends on ultrasound. Okay. Has he been blocked before where he can't get urine out? No, he's completely asymptomatic. He oh, just okay. noted in the the litter box, then it seems okay. concentrated. Um, a lot of times what we recommend for male cats to prevent urinary or, you know, feline lower urinary tract disease, um, which can cause blockages, which is life-threatening, is we do recommend canned food and you can even add water to it so that their calories, instead of having a hard food, are canned and then you add the water so that you're almost forcing him as he takes his calories in to take in the water as well. And then that will help to dilute out his urine. Water to his canned food? I'm sorry? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand. So add tap water to his canned food. Yes. Yeah. You water down his canned food. So you're forcing him to just drink more water as, as he's eating. I mean, Steve, generally speaking, d- does he eat food? He just, he avoids water in particular? Uh, that's it. Um, I've been going through all sorts of machinations for food, and um, 
he's very picky. Actually, I have two cats. One's like a vacuum cleaner with food. You put food in front of her and it's gone. But he's very picky. I've tried the kidney health food, and that didn't go over well at all. So now I'm on uh, friskies with chicken bits, and uh, it's just the water is the issue. All right, well. Yeah, I think I would just probably try and add water to his canned food. Uh, make sure you're okay. giving him enough canned food that's appropriate for his calorie intake um, to keep him at a normal body condition, but then just to add the water to that. All right, um, thanks for the call, Steve. That. Thanks for the call, and good luck with the kitty. And, Dr. Gary, we're going to take a quick break here, but just very quickly, there are so many foods on the market for pet for pets. Cats, dogs, I mean, you can get dry food, wet food. Uh, you know, you can have it delivered to your house. You can pick it up in bulk at Walmart. Um, what is the advice that you give your, your uh, uh, clients when it comes to uh, what to choose to feed their, their dog or cat in particular? I typically recommend speaking with your veterinarian, but also to make sure that you are choosing a food from one of the well-known food, dog food and cat food companies. I worry when um, I hear that my clients are giving like a boutique type of food because I usually want to make sure that the diet is well-balanced and AFCO certified. So I will, um, you know, refer, I will refer them to, you know, the major makers of dog and cat food. Dr. Lisa Garrity is addressing your questions and comments about pets today. We'll get back to her questions, to your questions in just a bit. We're talking about pets here on Midday, if you've just joined us. Dr. Lisa Garrity is our guest. She is the medical director at the Annapolis Veterinary Hospital, and she's here to answer your questions and take your comments. Our number here at Midday is 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at Midday. W-I-P-R. Uh, let's go to Mark, who's on the line in Baltimore, and then we're going to get to a couple of the emails that we've received. Mark, welcome to Midday with Dr. Garrity. Well, thank you. Uh, Dr. Garrity, my call is a uh, reference to my cat who's uh, a domestic short hair. Uh, he's 18 years old. Uh, several years ago, I noticed that he was eliminating uh, inappropriately outside the litter box and um, progressively got looser and looser stools to a point now when I, I hear him occasionally howl uh, and uh, in kind of gastric pain, um, and then I find um, that, uh, that he has gone somewhere around the house. Could be anywhere. Um, but I've, I've tried him on uh, Hill's microbiome. He's been tested several times by local vets, um, but he, uh, the Hill's... It, his stools on the on the hills firmed up quite a bit, but now he's back to um, very loose stools, and uh, we're just <laughs> he, he he's otherwise very healthy, very athletic. Uh, he's eighteen. He's 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 otherwise and seems to be in great shape. I assume he's had some blood work done to make sure that there's no metabolic reasons for him having the diarrhea. And has he had any yeah. weight loss with this? Have you had what? Weight loss? No, uh, not really. He's uh, unlike a, unlike his brother, who's had a lot of weight loss. No, he seems to be um, he seems to be uh, steady on his weight, completely steady. Very, very seems very healthy. Well, that's um, good. Very much where he's been for ten years, uh, 15, yeah, uh, eighteen good. years. Um, excuse me. 
You know, one of the things I see in a in in a senior cat like this, you know, um, he's at the high end of life expectancy, is that they can get either inflammatory bowel disease and or a low grade intestinal cancer. And I think if you haven't done it, I would highly recommend an ultrasound. They can do measurements of the small intestine. They can look at lymph nodes. And if that is the case, then, you know, there's options to consider biopsy uh, or even a medication trial like a steroid. Um, and so that may be the next step if you've exhausted fecal testing, diet, um, you know, uh, blood work to rule out things like thyroid disease, older cats can get hyperthyroidism, which can cause diarrhea. So if you've exhausted all of those, it may be the next step to do the next level of diagnostic, which is an ultrasound. Okay. Well, I'll follow that advice. One of the things just to note is that he, he never, he, he urinates always in the litter box, but when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, stools, uh, outside, almost, almost always. Yeah, it's funny. Cats sometimes can have um, an adverse, you know, reaction to discomfort in the litter box. And so then they associate the litter box with causing the pain. So then they'll go somewhere else because they think it's the box that's doing it. So sometimes it's urgency. They can't get there fast enough, but it could be one of those things. I do see that, actually. It sounds like you've got your hands full uh, with with an (laughs) 18-year-old kitty. Uh, but God bless her. Uh, that, that's great. Um, Dr. Garrity, we have an email from Amy who says, we have two dogs, a pandemic adoption from our mother-in-law, and they're both great but have ACD, cattle dog mix is what she says. The male is sweet but fear aggressive. At one and a half years old, is it too late to socialize and train this dog? No, um, I think if you do it the right way, um, I think it's fine for them. It has to be extremely gradual. There are also behavioral supplements that you can put them on initially to kind of calm them and then um, get them socialized with other dogs. But it, it really has to be gradual. I mean, it could be where you're literally sitting 10 feet away from whatever is anxious to him and then gradually just move a foot closer, a foot closer. So a lot of times it really does get them used to, um, you know, the anxious uh, event, but it desensitizes them to it. All right. That's great advice. We have a listener who goes by the name of Donkey Bones with a really good question. Are there any resources for veterinary care for people that don't have a lot of money? Uh, in this uh, survey that I quoted at the top of the show, uh, the average family with these uh, dogs and cats spends like $1,400 a year caring and feeding and uh, maintaining the health of, uh, of their pets. It, it ain't a cheap uh, endeavor. No, it's not. And, and with the um, recent economy, I think things are actually getting worse um, with the recession. Um, I think the most important thing um, that I can tell your listeners is if you are going to be getting a pet is to really look into the option of getting pet insurance. Pet insurance is an investment um, in you know security. If your pet gets sick, the insurance could cover a large majority of it. And it gives you know, the client, the pet owner, the um, flexibility to maybe make more choices for their sick pet. Um, there are also, you know, payment plans and there is, um, you know, care credit, which is like an application for a uh, credit card to pay off the veterinary care. And then you do, you know, monthly payments that way. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult. 
Here's a question from Tulsa on email who says, I've recently begun supplementing my dog's kibble diet with fresh people foods. And then he lists or she lists cooked chicken, pumpkin, sweet potatoes, bison, spinach, green beans, and anchovies. He seems to be thriving and his allergies, which have always been severe, are improving. But I always worry about balance in his nutrition. What diet do you recommend for dogs? And do you have any recommendations for those who may want to prepare human-grade food for their pets? Yeah, so that's a pretty pretty broad question. You know, the diet recommendations are based on how active the dog is, what the age of the dog is or pet, um, you know, what they require uh, for additional diseases. If they've got, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, if they've got joint arthritis, there's supplements that have, you know, cartilage supplements in them. So it's really kind of a, a broad question to kind of answer. Um, but, you know, as long as you are feeding a, um, you know, well-balanced diet with an AFCO certified, you know, pet company food, you can add foods to it as long as you are not uh, increasing their body condition score, meaning causing them to gain weight. Pet obesity is a huge thing in veterinary medicine right now. I think they said like 30% of pets are overweight um, and or obese. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're not giving them more calories um, but it's nice to hear that the food allergies are improved and it might be from, you know, even the anchovies because there's, um, omega fatty acids in them and omega fatty acids can help improve the skin. We have an email from Angela who says, I just caught the tail end of, uh, folks talking about the cat having trouble keeping it hydrated. If you, uh, uh, you might want to check out a Facebook support group called Feline Chronic Kidney Disease. It has over 30,000 members, and they have a list of non-prescription kidney-friendly foods and a great community to help support owners. So that's nice that uh, Angela is sharing that Facebook support group. Um, in general, we just have a, a 30 seconds left, Dr. Garrity, and I'm so grateful to you for your time today. Um, for for first-time pet owners, what do you see as the the thing that you wish uh, they would they would do that they're not doing? What are the the common mistakes? What's one of the common mistakes that first-timers make when they uh, acquire a pet? I think the most important thing is to have a great relationship with your veterinarian because the veterinarian and veterinary technicians can really answer a lot of your questions and help guide you through your first, you know, pet ownership uh, journey. Um, and another part is behavior, um, is to make sure that you uh, do a, as much research as you can on socializing and developing your pet's behavior because it will help you in the long run when you keep your pet for 15 years if they can really, you know, have a great behavior. Dr. Lisa Garrity is the medical director of the Greater Annapolis Veterinary Hospital. Thank you so much, Dr. Garrity. I really appreciate oh, it and I hope so you can come back. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I will. It was a lot of fun. This is your public radio. We are member supported 88.1 WYPR and WYPR HD1 Baltimore. WYPF Frederick, WYPO Ocean City.